Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. That's awesome, you guys. You know, I, I just, I love love. What can I say? I've often had people say, yeah, he's the love pastor. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it all day long because there's nothing that will, that will warm a heart not like love. There's nothing that will, will tear down walls like love. There's nothing that will change even your behavior like love can. See, fear can do things to force you to feel like you need to do something. But how many have heard, you know, a person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. If, if you go through life in fear, a lot of times you might not actually change your mind. You try to change actions. You know how hard it is to change actions without changing your mind? And people wonder why they keep falling back into addiction. They keep falling and doing the same old things. They keep responding the same old way. Come on, it's all right here. But I do believe that the basis of everything is love. Now, today we're going to talk about this different facet. And we, we did have another graphic. I don't know if we have it, but I love it because it's showing the difference between focuses. Because we have a focus. And our focus is, of course, love. That's our purpose, right? And then out of that comes our practices, our relationships, our service, and our worship. But, but guess what? That's our focus. And so we've really, in the last four weeks, talked about what we do. But I want us this week to talk about what God does. Because sometimes if we see a graphic like this, we're like, okay, I'm working on love and relationships and service and worship, but now I need to start growing and I need to make sure that I'm reaching out. But, but reaching out in service and even the DMD, for those of you who haven't been here, that's disciples making disciples. This isn't something that we do through self-effort. This isn't a class that we take or a certificate that we earn. This is literally God's focus. And so today we're going to talk about this idea of growth and outreach. Now, as we begin to talk about growth and outreach, I want us to realize something very important this morning because you'll notice that I'm focusing more on the growth than the outreach. Did you hear me? We're going to focus more today on the growth and the outreach. And that is because outreach, listen to me, outreach naturally occurs from growth. See, if we try to just go reach out without growing, it doesn't work. See, th this idea of, of outreach is something that just happens. It's like a byproduct of you growing in Christ. And so when we get the growth part, when we begin to, I guess, understand the growth thing, let's say it like this, when I begin to participate in the growth that God is initiating, come on. See, this isn't you saying, hey, God, I'm working really hard. Can you help me? It's God saying, no, I'm already doing this in your life. Why don't you just participate? Come on, isn't that what salvation's all about? How many save themselves? Anyone? And I just love it. I say it every time. When I hear the word salvation, I can't, can't help but say the definition. Preservation, safety, deliverance, wholeness, restoration. That's what that word means in the Greek. And so... How many of the areas or facets of their life where they still need a little deliverance? I can't put all of them up. How many need some safety? How many need some restoration in their life? And so this is a journey. It's an ongoing process. 
And so as we look at this today, I want us to understand that this idea of growth is it's something that God has already initiated. We simply respond just like salvation by faith. We say, oh, you've already done it. I receive it. And once we believe it and receive it, what do we do? We walk in it. And so that's really what this is all about when it comes to growth and outreach. It's a natural outflow of growth. That's what outreach is. It's really reaching out to others. So think about this process in your own life as a believer. It all began with, you know, this, this step of faith, this belief in the gospel, the good news, the almost too good to be true news. For God so loved the world that he gave of himself. He gave himself literally. And then he demonstrated on the cross the ultimate sign of love is what? Giving up his life for us. And so full display, great example, not always easy to follow, but how many want to follow Jesus? I believe that's why we're here this morning, sitting in these seats. That's why we're at home this morning, tuning in on you know, Facebook or, or YouTube when we could do uh, numerous other things, right? Catch up on a Netflix show. I'm not saying do that. But you're tuning in today because your desire is to grow. Your desire is to grow that relationship with God. And so I think this is so important. But here's the question this morning. How do we grow? Say that with me. How do we grow? You ever thought about this? I think as believers, we all have. How do we grow? Now, if I were to ask this question to several different people uh, from several different backgrounds, especially religious backgrounds and different denominations, I would get many different answers, wouldn't I? So we would hear things like reading the Bible, going to church, you know, praying every day, having that time with God, going to Bible study, you know, having some type of small group, which are all amazing things, you guys. I, I never want you to think that I'm talking that down. I think it's so important. But what happens a lot of times is when we do these things, we think that the onus is all on us to cause growth by doing these things. What we don't realize is God has already initiated relationship in all these areas. And these are just different practices and things we can do to begin to know him more, right? So again, these things are amazing, but the thing is, even though they're great things, when we grow in the knowledge and experience with God, that's what causes us to open up and flourish, Think about that. Even, you know, plants, plants open up, they, they bloom. And so this causes us to produce the fruit that's already in seed form within us. I mean, God has given us all things for life and godliness. I mean, that's just what he's done. But he's saying, will you receive? Will you see it? Will you receive it? Will you believe it? And when you do, you begin to walk in it. I think, though, that the best description of what growth is, because, again, we have all these different ideas of what growth is, and they might be pieces of the puzzle, but I believe that in John chapter 15, Jesus really describes growth and more specifically how we grow. So let's turn to John chapter 15 this morning. We're going to spend a little time here, and I want us to dig some things apart within this. And I do believe this, that as we do, some of you will be reminded this morning of, oh yeah, that's right, I remember. Others may be like, I never heard anything like this before. So wherever you are in the journey, we can all learn something today, amen? So John chapter 15, let's look at verse one. This is Jesus speaking, and he says this. He says, I am the true vine. In other words, I'm the real thing. 
right? I know Coke says they're the real thing, but Jesus is saying, I'm the real thing. I am the true vine. And look at this. And my father is the vine dresser. Now, of course, if you were, you know, first century Jew, you would understand, oh, vine dresser. Yeah, I've, there's a vineyard up the road. I know what the vine dresser does. I, I get that idea. But for us, let's say farmer. Let's say lady in the backyard across the street who's growing stuff in pots and plants. Not pot, growing potted plants and stuff, right? Maybe she is. I don't know. It's legal now. I'm just kidding. But, but the point is, this is a farmer. It's someone who takes care of it, nurtures. But Jesus is, right off the bat, he's defining roles. This is interesting to me. In this story, in this parable, he wants to define the roles right up front. I remember when I was about five years old and I had started kindergarten and I was really excited, but I was really nervous. Is anyone here like, you know, you're nervous when you go to kindergarten and then you kind of get used to people. But then, you know, when you get to grade five or six and you end up going to middle school, you got that nervousness again because it's just a new place, new things. And then high school, dun, 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 you know, and then, and then once you're through 12th grade, it's like, yeah, this is normal. But then you go to college, you go to trade school, you go to work. There's all these different, you know, facets of life where you have this nervousness, but I was, I was so excited, and I remember my mom took me to kindergarten, and we walked in for the first day or so. In, 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 my, in my kindergarten class, it was attached to, like, the main elementary school, and there were three kindergarten classes. So you would walk in. There was this long hall. You'd walk maybe 30, 40 yards. How do I remember this? I was, like, five. I'm probably wrong. But anyway, you'd walk up, and then you'd turn right. You'd go down this little, like, little foyer, and there was a door on the left, the center, and the right. Three kindergarten classes. So my mom had taken me to kindergarten class, at least for probably a couple days that first week. But if you know me, I'm pretty much like independent. I'm doing my own thing. So remember one day we're getting ready to walk into school. It might have even been the first week. My mom's getting ready to walk me in. And I said, Mom, I got this. I'm, gr- I'm growing up now. I got this. I know exactly where my class is. You don't need to help me out. She's like, okay, son. So I walked into the school, you know, strutting my stuff. I've got my corduroy bell-bottom pants on and my butterfly collar shirt. Come on, it's the late 70s, folks. So I'm walking in and I turn in the hall, I turn down and I look and there's the foyer and I have three doors in front of me. And suddenly I was struck with utter terror because I forgot which classroom I was supposed to go in. So I just picked the easy one. I walked straight into the center classroom. So I'm in there and I'm, everything kind of looks the same. You know, we're playing with blocks and we're doing our thing. And then the teacher starts calling off roll call and she goes through every name and my name wasn't there. And I'm thinking something's weird here. I don't remember her. I don't remember these kids. Am I in a bad dream? What's going on? But you know, the teacher, of course, you know, to me, this is what I'm feeling like. This is the biggest thing ever to happen in my life. But the teacher looks over, she goes, honey, I'm sorry, what's your name? And I'm like, Andrew. Baranichek, I couldn't even say it right. Andrew Baranchek, and she's like, "Honey, I, I think you're in the wrong room. Let, let's find your teacher." And so, of course, she finds my teacher, and man, I was like, <sighs> and she goes, "Honey, you went to the wrong classroom." I'm like, "I know." I never told my mom this happened either, so hopefully, she's not listening. But you know, it was interesting when I was in that other classroom. Things just felt foreign. They felt wrong because I was in the wrong class. You see. I felt out of place until I was put back into the right kindergarten class, the place where I fit, the place where my name was on the roll. See, it's the same as our Christian walk. We have got to know our proper place. And that's not a threat like know your place. No, when you know your place, you just, it just fits. It just 
works. Come on, how many have that favorite lazy boy chair? Come on, guys. And the wife's been trying for five years to get rid of the thing because it just looks putrid. It looks horrible because it's taken your shape, but you're like, but it fits, right? But see, that's how it should feel in the kingdom. It should fit. We should feel like this is my place. We could say this, having the proper focus. See, we have our focus and God has his focus. So Jesus right here is defining roles. He's like, guys, listen, I'm the true vine and the heavenly father is the vine dresser. It's important to understand the different roles in this life as a believer. When we begin to understand this, it helps us to feel like we're just where we're supposed to be. And when you're comfortable, when you're at peace, when you're experiencing joy, when you're just experiencing fulfillment, you know what flows out? The fruit of the spirit. It's just this natural process. It it shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be laborious. It shouldn't be tedious. It should feel natural and organic and right. Does that make sense? Because if not, what we try to do is we try to be the fruit producers. We try to be the fruit creators and eventually the fruit inspectors. So it's like we're doing everything instead of being who we're supposed to be. Look at verse two. Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, what does he do? He prunes that it may bear more fruit. So right here we see that God's desire is for us to bear fruit. Can we see that? As a vine dresser, how many vine dressers would not want their vineyard to bear fruit? That would be dumb. Why did you plan on in the first place? Why did you waste your money? Why are you wasting your time, right? But look at verse 3. Jesus is already, say already. You are clean. What? Already you are clean. That's going to make sense in a minute. Because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, there's two statements that I want us to take note of here. This, he takes away and he prunes. Now, what we need to do is we need to look at the definitions according to the original, original, I should say, Greek manuscripts to better understand what is being said. Now, this he takes away can mean to cut off. Now, you probably heard lots of messages about this. I preached message about this. If you're not bearing fruit, gosh darn it, God's gonna cut you off. Come on, we heard these? But this word in the Greek is the word arrow. And it does mean, it can mean to cut off. But do you know what it also means? It means to lift up. Think about this. Now we might just have to take a little crash course in vine dressing to understand this. But in this time, the first century when Jesus was talking about this, what a vine dresser would do is he would, of course, tend to his plants. His, his goal was to nurture. His goal was to make sure it was watered and it was getting proper sunlight. Well, if a particular branch was not bearing fruit, usually the issue was it had fallen down and it was in the soil. So any good vine dresser would lift up the branch that wasn't producing and clean it off of all the dirt and debris and the bugs and the things that were on it. And then they would literally tie it off to a trellis or maybe to another healthy branch. Why? So it could be lifted up in order to receive sun, water, and nutrients. Why? To bear fruit. Now, when Jesus was telling this story, I just think it makes more sense. Vine dressers didn't just walk into the vineyard and look around and go, oh, that's in the soil? Chop. 
that's in the soil, chop. They'll be like, that's in the soil. And, and, and tender care of their crop. What would they, do? they would lift it up. They would clean it. They would help it be nourished. They would tie it off. Help it. Does this make sense? And so I think a better translation would be, if you're not bearing fruit, I will lift you up. Because the very next, he says, and if you are producing fruit, I will prune. Now, now what's interesting about this word prune is it actually means another word we could use from the Greek is to cleanse. So it describes this vine dresser as a person who has care and love for the vine and the branch. I want to take care of this. I want to clean it. I want to make sure that there's, there's no foreign substance on it. I want to make sure that it's receiving the proper amount of sunlight in the water. And why? Because I want it to produce fruit. That's the whole point of a vine dresser. I need to produce fruit. Does this make sense? And so those who are sitting in the field or on the rocks or where they were listening to the story, they would understand, wow. So Jesus, you are the true vine and the father which was a whole new term to first century Jews. The father was the vine dresser, the one who wants me to produce. And he's not looking for ways to cut me out. He's looking for ways to help me produce even if I can't see myself correctly. Even if I'm face down in the dirt and have a misconception of who I am, he wants to lift me up and show me who I truly am. Why? Because you have fruit to bear, son. You have fruit to bear, daughter. I think it's, tender. It's loving. It's beautiful. So what is the remedy for unfruitful branches? God is. He's the vine dresser who does the lifting up. He does the cleansing. You know what that leaves us to do? Just go, wow. And thank you. You love me. You care for me. You're in my corner. You're by my side. You've already initiated this relationship and you're not going anywhere. See, to me, that just, it just makes the relationship so much more rock solid. Even on my worst day, he's not going anywhere. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He's always in the business of me producing fruit. Not because he's like, I demand fruit, but he knows that as I produce fruit, there's fulfillment in that for me. Isn't that beautiful? Verse four, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. So he's, he's not only telling a story of relationship with him, and with the father, he's also alluding to this relationship of the vine and the branch and bearing fruit to vine dressing. You seeing this? But look at this. He says, just like the, the fruit by itself, it can't produce. It has to be connected to the vine. He says, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine. Oh, here he's defining roles again. What are we? We are the branches. Are you the vine? Are you the vine dresser? I know I'm breaking it down Barney style, but I want us to get this. We are what? The branch. Look at the branch next to you and say, you're looking pretty branchy this morning. But look at this. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears what? Much fruit. Look at this. God already sees the potential in your life. 
So many times we put ourselves down, we feel unworthy, we can't measure up. Yeah, yeah, I could never do that. And God's like, no, 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 you are connected to me. You will bear much fruit. He already sees the potential, more potential than we usually see in ourselves. Can I get another amen this morning? Because it's easy to look at a sum total of what you've done wrong and say, I'm not worthy, I don't measure up. How could God ever utilize this vessel? Because he already sees you. He sees the potential. He knows who you are, even if you don't know who you are. And Holy Spirit is always convincing you of your righteousness, your right standing, who you are and whose you are. Man, I'm preaching myself happy this morning. But look at, he says this again. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, my focus is the fruit you bear, not you on your own. Kind of takes some pressure off. He's not saying you, you shouldn't bear fruit. He says, no, you will, but not on your own. So I see two points that are made here. Number one, proper roles. His role is what? The vine. Our role is what? Let me hear you. The branches. And number two, our fruit bearing comes by abiding in him. It's not by trying harder to bear fruit. I often say when we do that, we end up with like frankenfruit. It's like our own version of something. And he's saying, no, 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 no frankenfruit here. It's like Jesus saying, stop freaking out about the fruit, Frederick. The fruit bearing is my focus. You focus on me, the vine, and the father, the vine dresser. Isn't that awesome? Now, what's this abiding thing all about? He says we only bear fruit by abiding. So what does it mean? Well, a simple definition of the word abide is to dwell or stay put. Not go off and try, dwell or stay put. We're really talking about a spiritual geography. It's a state of being. Jesus is saying, I am the vine and you are the? Did Jesus say, I am the vine and you might be the? Branches? If you work hard enough, you might be the branches? No, he's saying, fact, I'm the vine, you're the branch. I mean, believe it or not, this is what Jesus is saying. If you're mad, get mad at Jesus. But Jesus is saying you're a branch. <laughs> so be branchy with it. Be who you be. In fact, if you look at the definition that the Apostle John gives us in 1 John 4, 15, he says, whoever confesses, now, what's the word confess or confession mean? Anyone remember? To say the same thing, to agree with. This is important. It's not how many times you say things. Now, you need to say the right things over yourself because everyone's saying something about themselves, Right? And so sometimes people want to come down hard on the word of faith movement because all this confession and saying, well, you're always confessing and saying something, so what are you saying? But the word confession isn't just, I said it a lot. I quoted the scripture a whole bunch of times, and so now God's going to do something. Well, first of all, the early church didn't have the scripture, the New Testament scriptures to confess. They had teaching, and so they would say things like, okay, uh, you're saying that I'm forgiven, uh, I'm cleansed, I'm holy, I'm acceptable, so I'll say that about myself. You were saying the same thing as God was saying about you. Is this making sense? So he's saying this. 
He says, whoever confesses, whoever agrees with this idea that Jesus is the Son of God. In other words, your life is lining up with the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. What does it say? God abides in him and he in God. It's, sometimes it seems so simple, doesn't it? I mean, the disciples asked Jesus, you know, what, what, I mean, what is the work? What is the work of the Father? What are we supposed to do? And Jesus says these two words, only believe. What? But, but they were good Jew, good Jewish boys. I mean, they had the Ten Commandments. They had the 613 rules and regulations from the temple. They had different rabbis that they would follow. And they would take that rabbi's teaching or yoke up on them. And they would hear to those things. They were used to do, do, do. I get that. So they're like, wait, only believe. No, what do we do? And he's like, only believe. Yeah, but what do we do? He's like, no, you only believe. But, but, but what do we do? See, your doing comes out of your believing. I believe that's what Jesus was saying. So do you believe that he's the vine and you're the branch? Or do you believe it's all up to you to do what you got to do? To please God, to somehow have him give you more, do more for you. And he's saying, "Uh uh-uh, that's my focus. I've already done it. You believe it. You abide. You, get this, you rest in me and see what I'll do. Let me focus on my part You just work on basking and immersing yourself in that love, that purpose you have in life. From there, you'll build relationships and you'll just automatically do service and things for people and then worship. True-hearted worship will come out of that. But listen, your growth and your outreach, leave that to me. This is powerful. Abiding is simply being in Christ, being a believer. We could say being born again. It's your state of being. You know, several years ago, we went to the Disney World Resort. How many have ever been there? It's a nightmare. But I usually tell people, don't believe the commercials because the family looks like, my God, they're in heaven. But the reality, if I recorded it, you'd be like, is that hell? Anyway, but you know, we're at Disney World Resort, and when you go there, I mean, it's quite the experience. You've got downtown Disney and Epcot and Animal Kingdom and Magic Kingdom and hotels, and you have all this stuff, but you know, it's still all Disney, right? Everywhere you walk, everything you see, it's owned by Disney. It's part of Disney. We were in Disney, but you know what? There was no way in a week's time that we could experience all of Disney, See, the kingdom of God is the same way. This idea of being in Christ is the same way. It's our state of being. And we have a lifetime to experience all there is. So some of us, were in a hurry on the journey. Because, you know, when you were 10 or 12 or 22, you went to a church one day, you heard a message, you came to an altar and you prayed a prayer. Beautiful relationship with God. But then some of you, you had someone come up to you and they said, now here's the pamphlet pamphlet. Yep. Here's what you need to do now with good intentions. But immediately you started out with this idea that it's all about what I do. And then in the midst of that, there are things that we do. We started to intermingle and mix things and we began to do what God's supposed to do. Does this making sense? What I'm trying to do is help you to see that a lot of this stuff is just, it just, I'm trying to think of a good word. It's, 
It's just almost an automatic thing. Listen, if I could talk to plants, I know there are people who do, and apparently it helps. <laughs> you know, people with the green thumb, they just, they talk to their plants. They, didn't your grandma used to sing to the plants? And they would just grow. Well, of course, they're, they're a living entity. I mean, think about it. They come from the same source we do. You know, if you actually broke your body down, you're made up of this very same thing that the stars are made of. You're stardust. You're a star. Say, I'm a star. That's beautiful. God took all these elements and created so many beautiful things out of it, including you, the most beautiful thing, the pinnacle of his creation. I lost my train of thought. I got so excited about how awesome that is. But you think about this process of growing. And sometimes, that's what I was saying is, I've, I've never had an opportunity to talk to a plant, but I really don't think that a plant, if it's getting proper sunlight and water, you know, the vine dresser, the gardener's taking care of it. If the vine's healthy, I don't think the branch ever like struggles or stresses about growing fruit. I mean, we, last year, it was easier for us. We did it in a bunch of like, uh, pots and buckets and stuff. And we had great crowd. We had everything, jalapenos and what else do we have? Watermelon and strawberries and jalapenos. I keep saying jalapenos because I love jalapenos and tomatoes. Pu- pumpkins? Nope. Um, let's just say, yeah, pumpkins, um, cucumbers, banana peppers. I mean, all this, it was delicious. And we canned some stuff. It was just amazing. But it was almost like, I wouldn't say it's effortless. Well, it was for me because she did all the work. <laughs> but as long as you watered them, because you watered them every day if there was no rain, you were on that. She was the vine dresser. And as long as that vine was healthy, it was producing. I mean, sometimes more than we could keep up with, we had to give stuff away. We even grew on sweet potatoes. Did I say sweet potatoes? They were awesome. Didn't we have them for Thanksgiving? Yeah, come on, man. I'm like a farmer, Bruce. Or my wife is anyway. But it's amazing, isn't it? Just eating things that you've actually grown. It's just so awesome. But again, branches don't stress about whether or not, man, I really hope, I, I, I hope today's the day. I'm not sure I don't see it yet. No, the branch is just, just abiding, just there. Come on, branch, do something. I don't have to. I'm connected to the vine. And look at the vine dressers taking care of stuff. Oh, oh there we go. There's another one. <laughs> this is awesome. I know I'm being a little goofy, but I want us to understand that if you don't leave with anything else today, realize that the fruit production is God's focus. Just abide in him. Bask in his goodness. Have relationship. Gain more knowledge and understanding and just experience who he is. And I'll tell you what, you will be convinced that you're a solid branch who can produce fruit because it's already in there. The potential is already there. This is so good. The love, the joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's all there. See, fruit production is impeded when we forget that our fruit comes from the Lord. He is the source. Forgetting that we abide in him. You're already there. Stop trying to be there. Awaken to the fact that you're already there. Does that make sense? Verse 9. As the Father loved me, this is huge, so have I loved you. Look at this. Abide in my love. We come full circle, haven't we? 
Your growth and outreach comes from the very foundation of it all, love. And Jesus reminds us here, this whole story is about producing fruit in our life, but he brings it totally around again to the foundation. He says, listen, guys, listen, through all this, remember your role, your place. There's a vine dresser, there's a vine, and there's a branch that's you. And he says, by the way, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. See, love's reciprocal. It's passed on as well. But he says, abide in my love. Now, let me ask you this. How does the Father love the Son? Think about that. Unconditionally. There's no conditions. I don't know if you've heard this before, but in the story of Jesus, he's getting ready to launch into ministry, about three and a half years of ministry before he ends up dying on a cross and being resurrected. We get to celebrate the resurrection. We should every day, but we get to celebrate that here soon on Easter Sunday. But what's interesting, before he launches into ministry, before he performs a single miracle, before any of this, he meets John at the Jordan River and he's baptized. And it says that when he came up out of the water, that the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. That word beloved in the Greek is well-loved, very loved son. In whom, not by whom, by whom would mean he did something to please, but he says, in whom I am well-pleased. Before he performed anything that we would go, Whoa, miracles, signs, wonders. What does that tell you? It tells me that I'm well-loved. I'm very loved. God is very pleased with me simply because of who I am. Every time I think of this, I think about the response that I had when my children were born. I'm getting emotional a little bit here. But when my children were born, I mean, think about this, okay? And I I don't want this to sound wrong, but like for nine months, in my wife's case, 10 months, they, no, for nine months, they they just rested in you. And, And like the process, you just did what the process did. Then they worked so hard. No, my wife worked so hard when they were born. You did the work. They were birthed. So they, they weren't like, you know, it wasn't like, I was like, oh, uh, I hear Ethan in there. Oh my gosh, li- oh, he's riding the bike. I'm so proud of him. That would be weird, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, he picked up juggling. He's doing four things at once. That's amazing. That never happened. He just was in there sucking his thumb, rolling around, making her uncomfortable. If anything, I'd say, hey, you're being mean to your mother. You're stepping on her bladder. That's not very nice. But think about this. There was nothing that Ethan or Aiden or even Bianca or Jonathan did in the womb to like make me go, wow, I'm so pleased in you. But the day that they were born, and that wasn't even really their, I mean, they just, oh, here I am, I'm in a new world. The love, think about this, the love and the pleasedness that I had when they were born, I can't even explain the emotion. I mean, I know you can't picture me crying or weeping, but I did. 
because I'm not very emotional, right, John? But just when they were born, like, it did something to me. It did something to my theology when my children were born. Suddenly I see Jesus coming out of the water, not doing anything in ministry yet, and him saying, this is my well-loved son in whom I'm well-pleased. And I started realizing, oh my gosh, that's how I was when my children were born. I could have said, there's my well-loved son, there's my well-loved daughter in whom I am well-pleased. And the doctor could have said, they didn't do anything. We did all the work. I'm like, I know, but do you see this? Do you see this amazing creation? Do you see what we're looking at? He's like, yep, I see him every day. But not like this, doctor. Isn't this the best looking child you've ever seen? You ever, had, you ever had a parent go, oh my gosh, my kid's so beautiful. And they show you, you're like, oh my God, it's an alien. I mean, you don't say that to their face. Come on, we walk in love. But, but honestly, I mean, newborns, every so often you get when you're like, how in the heck is that thing so perfect? It was C-section. Oh, okay. But, but how is that so perfect? Sometimes their heads are all weird. It's just like, what is, but to the parent, the most beautiful thing on the face of the earth. Why can't we see that the Father sees us the same way? Well, you don't know all my stuff. He knows all your stuff, and he still sees you that way. He knows all that stuff, but he knows that you're believing in something that's untrue about yourself, and he's trying to bring you to the truth of who you really are. And when you awaken to your true identity of who you are and whose you are, all that stuff will fall to the wayside. That's how change really transpires. Being told who you are, not a bunch of stuff about what you're not. See, we should take a lesson, parents, in that. It's easy to point out all the stuff they're not doing right, isn't it? Come on. But man, the way that they respond to you when you point out all the greatness about them, even if it's something not earned, even better. I still have to work on that. I still catch myself, but guess what? God is the perfect parent. Are you getting this this morning? Are you seeing this? So he says, remain in my love. Essentially abide, dwell, stay permanently in my love. Be rooted and grounded in my love. My love is the one constant that will hold your world together. If, say if, here's the if. If you believe it, if you receive it, because you'll never take or receive anything you don't believe is there. That's why Jesus said only believe. But the big if is if you receive it. So receive it, bask in it, bathe in it, swim in it, immerse yourself in it. Above all, stay in it. Don't let yourself go outside of that. Not that he's leaving you, but just like the prodigal son, we can leave thinking the grass is greener on the other side. But the truth is, it's the greenest right there with your father. So remain in that. Perhaps you've heard it before, this message, this idea. But maybe it's time for you to preach and teach yourself this good news. We talked about confession earlier. Maybe it's time to confess, to change what you say about yourself, to have your words agree with, have your story Agree with God's story about you. And then when you are secure in the foundation here of verse 9, look at this. We can read verse 10. Because you have to get verse 9. 
In fact, I would say one through nine. You, you really have to understand your role, your place, your focus, how much God loves you. And then you read verse 10 because he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. See, obedience, it comes out of relationship. And I don't believe it's a relationship of fear. You better or else. When it's a relationship of love, you want to do it. Isn't it great when your kids want to do something to help around the house versus I have to again? I mean, come on, we've all been there. But I'd like to really paraphrase it like this. I want you to trust me, trust in my love to the point of listening and doing what I say. When you get to that place, it's a sure sign that you're remaining in my love. Remember, we talked about this idea of commandment, right? Commands shouldn't be, oh no, he's demanding. A command is I give you a new ultimate purpose. Here's a new goal for your life. See, when you know the love of God, you will trust and obey him naturally. And I know we're all looking for, I just, I just want to have more obedience in my life. I just want to follow through more on what God's called me to do. Well, first of all, you need to learn how to just rest in him. You need to learn how to remain in his love. When you do, those things will flow out of you. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you. What things? The previous 10 verses, the roles, your identity, who you are, your well-loved, the fruit is up to me and not up to you. Abide in me, you will produce. Not maybe, but you will produce fruit. These things I have spoken to you, look at this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Think about this, because a lot of times we're like, well, I got a bunch of stuff. I just, I, I got to do a bunch of stuff for God. Well, why? Well, just so he'll be okay with me and, and be pleasing. No, no. He's saying, when you line yourself up, when you be a branch, when you find the proper role, when you allow me to cause growth in your life, I'm doing this because your joy will be made full. This will bring fulfillment and joy in your life. God desires for us to live a joyful life. And what Jesus is saying is that this entire illustration of the vine, the branch, and the vine dresser are for that very reason. If we walk away from this story and this parable with guilt or condemnation or a sense of not measuring up, then we've completely missed the point. And I'm sorry, you've been here many years, some of you, and you probably heard me teach it the wrong way. But I'm here to say, I'm trying to teach the truth and teach it the right way. There shouldn't be guilt and shame. If anything, it should be, wow, there's an opportunity here for me to bear fruit because as a branch, that's my desire. That's what I want to do. I want growth in my life. See, abiding in God's love for you produces fruit in your life. And listen to this. It's living a life from Jesus, not for Jesus. There's a difference between the from and the for. Many people, including myself for many years, great intentions, I'm living for Jesus. In other words, I'm doing everything I need to do to try and be pleasing and prove myself to him. But what Jesus is saying, I don't want that. I want you to live from me. That's what pleases me. When you live from me, let me be the source of your growth, the source of your life, the source of the fruit you bear. Isn't that powerful? Not only that, but, but catch this next statement. 
just in case, again, you forgot what a commandment is, it's the ultimate purpose, right? This is for you. Look at this, verse 12. This is my commandment. This is my ultimate goal. This is the the new purpose that I have for you. What is it, Jesus? I want to do your commands that you love one another as I have loved you. See, there it is. Your growth results in what? Loving others as I have loved you. Serving others as he has served us. One word, outreach. Wait a minute, pastor. I thought that was something we do on Saturday. We go to door, door to door and knock. That may be part of it. As you're growing in your, in your knowledge and, 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 and who Jesus is and your relationship, you, you might have that gift. I've said this before, but I don't have the gift to cold call and knock on doors. That's just not me. I'm relational. So I have a better, how would I say it? I, I've, I'm more comfortable with just being a friend to people and, and learning people's life and digging into who they are. And through that process, that's where outreach happens. But however outreach looks to you, it begins with growth. What did we say before? That outreach is an outflow of growth. It's an automatic outflow and response to growth. And if you want to go along with the parable of the story here that Jesus is telling, think about this. When growth happens in your life, what is produced? Fruit. Let me hear you online. Type it in the comments. Fruit. That's what's produced. And what is fruit meant for? Come on, Bruce. Others. To be enjoyed by others. I love fruit. I eat so much fruit, you are what you eat. That's why I'm so fruity sometimes. But I love it. I mean, I probably have, I have a banana every day. Almost every day I have blueberries. Uh, Most days I have raspberries. Um, I just love fruit. Apples, oranges. I just consume... I just came to this point, like, if people tell you, like, be careful how much fruit you eat. Oh, the natural stuff from the earth? Okay. See you later. (laughs) Fruit? Fruit's bad now? I eat tons of vegetables, too, but I love fruit. Fruit is meant to be enjoyed. Every time I eat a banana, I cut up some banana and some some, uh, blueberries and some strawberries. I love berries. They're very good. I put tons of berries on my oatmeal or whatever meat. I love it. And you know, there's never one time I feel guilty because it's so good. See, when you bear fruit in your life, that fruit is meant for others to enjoy. Others need to experience the fruit of love, the fruit of patience. Some people don't get patience other than their doctor. They don't get patience from anyone, right? I just have the spirit of my dad sometimes. Bad jokes, they come to me, it just comes out my mouth. I'm sorry. Some people need to experience the fruit of joy. There's no joy in their life. And so my whole point here is, if we can get to this place where we understand our role, we understand that Jesus is the vine, the Father is the vine dresser, and we are the branch, and that no fruit production happens without him, that that's his focus, it will change everything. It will be a game changer. You get to a place where you begin to bear fruit and you're like, it's almost effortless. You're like, 
I'm showing love to that person who, honestly, they're not being lovely to me. And I don't, I don't even know if I like them. But I'm loving that person. I see things differently. You're sharing joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Come on. Some of us are like, Lord, why is it the last fruit? <laughs> well, it was a list, right? But I think it's important that we see that this growth is God's focus. But as it happen, happens, the automatic response to that, the outflow, is outreach. You can't help but reach out to others. You can't help but be there for others. So let's wrap this up with one final conclusion. Your growth bears fruit, which results in outreach. And the outreach is what nourishes and sustains others around you. You see that this morning? Can I get an amen this morning? It's beautiful when we actually see the truth of this. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're such a good God. We're just so thankful for your love and your patience towards us, your grace toward us. You're such a giver. You're so generous. I mean, the fact that you've already made a way, you paved the way, you've already put us in position, you've already given us all things for life and godliness, it's just, it shows your generosity. It's not us having to earn it. It's just believing it so we can walk in it. So I really pray that this morning I said things in a way that were understandable. That yes, we are to produce fruit. Jesus, you said you will produce fruit. But understanding our role, understanding our focus, as we focus on this, the greatest purpose of all in our life, love, out of that flows relationships and service and worship. But most certainly from that, your focus in that is we're growing in this process which then leads to outreach, reaching out to others. Others need to experience this goodness that we do in you. So I thank you, Holy Spirit, for clarity. Continue to work on our hearts, even throughout this week. That for those of us who don't see it, we would begin to see that we are well-loved and you are pleased in us simply because we're your kids. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 